Welcome to The Pestle, reviewing and breaking down movies to look for insights into the movie-making process. Hosted by Reboots, Remakes, Comic Book Movies, and sequels to Reboots, Remakes, and Comic Book Movies. Let's dim the lights and start the show. Welcome to The Pestle, everybody. Today's show is brought to you by British Television Network. At the BTN, our job is to report the news, not fabricate it. Welcome to The Pestle. I'm Wes. And I'm Todd. And this is the show where we like to diagnose, break down movies in a multitude of ways, a script analysis, filmmaking techniques, anything that makes sense. Um, and some things that don't. And a lot of things that don't. <laughs> yeah, so we're filmmakers, actors, a multitude of things. Todd is a musician. Uh, what do you play? Guitar and sing and piano few other things jesus yeah okay yeah and, and the spoons and the washboard and oh yeah every other thing yeah, you should see me on the spoons <laughs> nail it that would be amazing actually if one day you broke out the spoons and just like hey let's play a tune let's play a tune <laughs> i'll get my jug <laughs> you play the jug yes perfect Ooh. we're gonna go on the road <laughs> so today we're covering looper in honor of Ryan Johnson writing and directing uh, the next Star Wars movie. Yeah. So if you haven't seen Looper, be aware there's a lot of spoilers coming at you. Yeah, this is a big spoiler movie. Yeah, we're going to get pretty heavy into it. Um, I mean, pretty much anything we say is going to be a spoiler in this one because there's a lot of twists and turns. Yeah, there's really no way to intelligently talk about this film without it. Yeah. Uh, we're going to cover a lot of things, including, obviously, time travel. That's <laughs> uh, inherent to spoiler. the Spoiler. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, editing, some visual analysis. We'll talk about the theme, the future, and so, so much, much more. <laughs> awesome. Well, let's just uh, dive into the synopsis here. In 2074, when the mob wants to get rid of someone, the target is sent into the past where a hired gun awaits. Someone like Joe, who one day learns the mob wants to close the loop by sending back Joe's future self for assassination. It's written and directed by Ryan Johnson, starring Bruce Willis as old Joe, Joseph Gordon-Levitt as Joe, Emily Blunt as Sarah, Jeff Daniels as Abe, Paul Dano as Seth, uh, Noah Segan as Kid Blue, and Garrett Dillahunt as Jesse. Now, I'll show you how much I know you. <clears throat> I'm not even going to break you. I'm just going to you know, set you back a ways. We know that you've been stashing half your bars, which is smart. No law against it. You're going to get out. You're going to go overseas, right? Studying up your Mandarin. French. French. You give him up or you give us half your stash. You're willing to dump your silver in the dirt for Seth. If we can help it, be too cataclysmic a change for the future. Now, what we'll do is dangerous in that regard. So not as dangerous as killing them. On top of which, a man from the future runs free long enough. You know, time travel shit just fries your brain like an egg. Why the fuck French? I'm going to France. You should go to China. I'm going to France. I'm from the future. You should go to China. I'm going to France. You're going. 
I love that. <laughs> Jeff Daniels is I'm from great. the future. He's uh, so sparsely in here, but he has a really strong presence all the same. Yeah. I mean, throughout the entire film, you're, he kind of stays with you. Yeah. You know, yeah. It, it's so funny because when I think of Jeff Daniels, I mean, I gotta be honest. I think of Dumb and Dumber still because that's yeah, because that's that was like the thing that put him on like the world map, right? I mean, he had done others, a lot of other drama before that, and so he was actually surprised when they came to him with Dumb and Dumber. Uh, he thought I couldn't be funny, um, and so like seeing, but he's so good because I was actually watching this 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 film thinking about him in Dumb and Dumber, <laughs> and thinking, man, like both both him and Jim Carrey mm-hmm. have they can do whatever they want yeah. you know and he is fantastic at drama and you believe him when he is this character i mean he is he just runs the show and and you you believe it like you don't want to see him yeah you don't want to see him because you know something's going to go going to go down yeah it's not a pleasant thing to be in this guy's uh chair i guess yeah he's so good in this role that's amazing yeah so like it, hate it. What was your kind of takeaway? This is the first time I saw it. I was like, man, yeah, I really like it. I really liked it. And I saw it when it came out. I saw it in theaters. Mm-hmm. Um, I really liked it. I, I didn't like, you know, blow my mind or anything. I liked it actually more the second time. I, you know, I'm a kind of, I'm a sucker for sci-fi. I'm a sucker for time travel and, <laughs> and, and anything like that. And I love the little twists they put in here. Like the, they're one of the things I liked about it is that they they put limitations on the time travel, mm. so it it wasn't like you can go anywhere whenever you wanted, um, or or any place. It was always to this one place at you know, and thirty years in the past is it's time travel was in this little box because it was still very. As soon as they said in the movie, as soon as it was invented, it was outlawed, like right away. So it hasn't like evolved into mm. this, you know. All, you know, you can adjust parameters and stuff. They haven't figured that out. Yeah, there's no R&D that they can pour into yeah, it or yeah, something. Yeah, right. It's, it's outlawed severely. So um, it, there's all these parameters on it. And I actually liked that a lot. It was it was easy to digest as a viewer. I wasn't thinking of all these other like aspects of, time, of, of the actual machine. or The machine was an afterthought. Mm-hmm. It was the actual travel that was the interesting part. So I liked all the all of that. Some of the CGI wasn't the best, but what they did with Joseph Gordon-Levitt was amazing. Um, I mean, and he was amazing in it. He was he completely channeled Bruce uh, Willis in this and uh, sounded like him, acted like him, talked like him, <laughs> like he just attitude was like him. Uh, I would probably give it. I would probably give it a, a solid seven to seven and a half. Maybe on a good day, maybe like if you caught me right after I watched it, I'd give it an eight. Um, but it, it just doesn't stick with me for a long time. Mm, I got you. Know, you. It's, yeah. It stuck with me for a couple of days after I watched it again mm-hmm. the second time. Um, and, you know, I thought about it more. But usually the, the movies like this that I give a nine or so are the ones where, oh, I watched it two weeks ago, but it feels like I watched it last night. I can't yeah, stop yeah. thinking about it, you know? So yeah, I would give it a solid seven, seven and a half. Nice. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm probably not too far away. Like I'm at about an eight walking out of it the first time I was, you know, at a 10. Yeah. Right. <laughs> because <laughs> but I we're mean, suckers. Yeah, we really are sci-fi and especially this kind of sci-fi where the future isn't, it's not heavily one direction or the other, right? It's not a, uh, 
it's not a full, it's obviously not a utopia, but it's not a yeah. full blown dystopia where everything is just the worst. It's, you know, super haves and have nots here. They kind of find this, uh, Ryan Johnson kind of finds this amazing middle ground where the cars are pretty much the same, more or less. You have these new fancy ones that are coming out, but you also have, uh, the ones everyone really uses are retrofitted yeah, with, right. you know, today's uh, tech. So, oh, okay, it doesn't run on oil anymore, but we can, you know, still figure out a way to get like solar energy into it or whatever it is that they're they're pumping in there. Um, maybe it's like Doc Brown and they got like garbage that they're yeah, filtering on, in there. Well, on Emily's truck, the 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 little tube running out of the tube, gas tank. Yeah. Is it running out or is it running in? It looked like it was coming from the exhaust and it was running back in. Oh, maybe. It, but it was retrofitted, like yeah. you said. Yeah. And I love those little details like that. They save a lot of the, as far as futurizing this stuff, they save a lot of it for not only the uh, the sequence, which you can pare down the budget really well whenever they do the little montage introducing you to old Joe. And you get to see his life, how young Joe became old Joe. They save a lot of the futuristic stuff for that, I think. And then the other, everything in our contemporary time period, though, is uh, we have these busted up old guns. You know, they're new to us, but for them, these have been around for a while. So, like, the, the handles are taped like it's a baseball bat you know they just need grippage now because blunderbuss the blunderbuss and you have the uh ship in sitting in the the canal like that's just a 3d rendering model that they inserted into uh, a wide cityscape and then you play around a little bit with the skylines to give them a few futuristic touches but you don't overwhelm it i mean you can do that whenever you fast forward another 30 years into the future you can kind of progressively do that but they do several smart things with those things, but then they also play with the idea of fashion is cyclical, right? This whole yeah. movie is, is dealing with cycles and loops. Uh, it's the whole, it's everything that it's about. And so they plug that in also with the, uh, with the fashion, which comes into play with, you know, Jeff Daniels playing Abe. He's like, dude, the guys you're copying copied someone else like do something new and fresh yeah. and yeah, yeah. Uh, and so i feel like that's kind of a, a a poke at himself in a way um that he's making a futuristic movie that is tangibly still pulling heavily from the past and so it's almost what fans would be saying to him as they're watching the movie like oh man we went we came in we sat down for a future sci-fi movie but you're doing all these old things you're borrowing from the past and so i felt like a little bit of a meta comment yeah uh written into the film yeah I, okay so you give it an eight i yeah eight? a solid eight on my yeah. good day i might give it a nine. Oh wow okay yeah. cool all right yeah i really love time travel <laughs> <laughs> really yeah <laughs> If it's about to, for everybody out there, you make a time travel movie, Wes will probably give it a little, little bit of a notch up or, well, it's, it's a, it's a bit of a fire starter because if you do it well, then I'm going to give it a notch up. But if you only do it mediocre, then you give it a notch down. way down. Oh, all right. Because going back to your point, like they gave themselves limitations too often time movies that play with time. Don't do that. They kind of give they allow themselves whatever they want, and that's such a dangerous area. A lot of the uh, creative freedoms come out of these limitations where you understand your boundaries. Necessity is the mother of invention, right? That's yeah. why we get so many amazing inventions is someone needed something. They needed to accomplish something, but they had their own limitations to work with. And so if you, as a filmmaker, as a writer, go in with this idea that, okay, we do invent time travel eventually, but it's not now. In fact, we don't even know about it. 
until uh, 30 years after it happens <laughs> uh, because of whatever limitation there is. And there's this idea that uh, I think Neil deGrasse Tyson talks about it in one of those The Universe episodes from way back that if you were to invent time travel, it would basically be like a box you create today. And then from today on, you can only travel back to this moment that it, that you created the box. It yeah. wouldn't be yesterday because the box didn't didn't exist. And so now you've kind of created this this own this tiny loop that now you have access to. Um, and maybe in this universe that loop exists, but it it doesn't exist in terms of that specific box uh, in a tangible way. Maybe it's a more, I don't know, a quantum issue that they're having. Like, I mean, that's all speculation. But huh. uh, in terms of people who think time travel is a, is a possibility, that's usually kind of where they they fault is that you've kind of created this starting point that now you can access. But you can't go beyond that starting point or previous to that starting point. <laughs> It begins to fry your brain the more you talk yeah. about it. <laughs> I really want to talk about stuff I don't understand right now <laughs> and, and interject my opinion. Right. <laughs> but I will say, I'll, and I'll jump back into time travel theory here in a little bit, but going back to your point about the performance, uh, Justin Gordon-Levitt is amazing because he is having to play catch up to Bruce Willis. Bruce Willis just to give, gets to be himself. Yeah. Yeah, he is. Very much standard. himself in this. But JGL yeah. uh, has to put on the makeup and kind of lean towards uh, him. And the only time Bruce Willis has to play down to Joseph Gordon-Levitt is in that transition when he gets hair. <laughs> oh, right, yeah. Right? He gets a little yeah. bit of a thing on top of his head, which looks awesome uh, for that one moment he has it. And then they kind of start to dial it back. But JGL has to start donning the mannerisms of Bruce like he's doing the the furrowed brow and the squinty eyes yeah. and the voice and he is killing it man kills it god it's kills so good cuz that's risky if you don't do it really really well yeah it's hokey and you don't the suspension of disbelief is not there yeah yeah it's not like it's not like you can it it, it sticks out like a sore thumb yeah. if you're trying to act like someone instead of just being them and and in the little featurette that we talked about it earlier, the little featurette, they were doing a read, a table read, and and um, uh, um, Bruce, Bruce, thank you, <laughs> Bruce, and Bruce leans over to Joseph and says, "Man, you sound a lot like me." And Joseph said, "said Fuck yeah." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's, that's awesome. You know, cause it, you know, he had said, I grew up watching this guy's movies and like idolizing this guy. And now I'm playing him. I'm playing him. So I got a, I had to bring it and, and it worked. Yeah. He and brought he, it three hours of makeup every day God. to look like him. And I, cause when I was first watching, I was thinking how do they do this. Cause like that makeup is amazing. <clears throat> it's incredible. I mean, not just to be able to do it once, but every single day, the continuity of looking exactly the same or beat up, True. you know, uh, uh, beat up in certain ways, but still the rest of the face looking the same. Like that's the makeup artist in this film is incredible. Yeah. Because I've seen so many other films and movies that I love that do that try to do half as much and they do it like terribly and yeah. it's unbelievable and it kills a lot of the movie for me. And 
they played it with a lot of fire. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you know it could have been easy to do CGI on his face. Totally. And they went the harder route. And I the love correct that. Route. Yeah, me yeah, too. because if you can do it in camera, one, it's giving your actors more to play with. Yeah. But like you said, you're also it's physical. You know what you're going to get continuity wise, and you're you're saving a lot of money in post-production also, of course. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's just a lot of reasons to do it in camera because then you also know if it's not working, then just don't do it. Like yeah. we'll suspend disbelief with the idea that, okay, this is supposed to be the same guy, whatever we've, I mean, we believe there's dinosaurs in Jurassic Park. So yeah, like, exactly. I, I think we can just kind of let that go, but doing it is all the better. And I'm really bad at faces. And so the first time I saw this trailer, I remember thinking that looks like Joseph Gordon-Levitt, but but not Joseph Gordon-Levitt. What is going on? I was really confused yeah. for a while. <laughs> yeah. And the, yeah, the casting, like, cause they don't look anything alike. No. So who, I mean, why would you, why would you think, yes, Joseph Gordon-Levitt is Okay. So essentially, uh, Ryan wrote this script for Joseph Gordon-Levitt, right? I believe that because Ryan got his breakout in Brick. Brick, right. Which Joseph Gordon-Levitt did it and was a huge boost to him as well mm-hmm. in terms of his acting creds. Um, and so it, they, I can, they just sent the they sent the script to um, to Bruce. And the first day he got it, he he said, yep, I'll do it. <laughs> He read it the day he got it. And I think at the time, I remember him saying, uh, this is the best movie I've ever done, which it's one of those things wow. where it could just be an actor, you know, trying to hide trying his to, movie yeah. and get butts in seats. Uh, but even if it isn't like, or even if that is the case, like it's still, he doesn't say that about all his movies. I've never heard him say that. I've, before. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I've ever heard. I, I haven't heard many ac- big actors say that. That's true. That's in fact, really I can't tell you another actor that I've heard say, this is the best movie I've ever done. Yeah. I mean, they might hint to that, you know, kind of, this kind of like really this. Pr- I really, really felt strongly about this, whatever, but they don't say this is the best movie I've ever done. No. So even if he was selling it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm buying it. Yeah. Yeah. Same here. Like I love the, uh, what do you call it? The, the setup. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love the setup. I love the idea of what we're doing here. And I love that. Uh, it's, it's all so practically done. In fact, the only thing that isn't really practically done is the, uh, the little hover scooter, hover motor, motorbike. Yeah. Oh, that killed me. Yeah. It just doesn't work very well. And I well. know they, they, you know, they did the green screen thing, not, not behind it, but underneath it, they actually shot, they actually put the thing, the scooter thing on something that was attached to a car and they drove the car and they shot the shot thing. So it was real in camera, Yeah, which is why I was so surprised that it looked so bad. Yeah. That's a tricky thing because it it has to do with the physics and then you're also having to composite some of that stuff out. Mm. And if you don't, I mean, especially the physics, if you're not getting that exactly right, you're just not buying into it. But it looked like it was against the, it was against a green screen in the background, yeah. but it, it was, I don't know. <laughs> it, that, that really took me out of it Oh, it's tough. pretty badly. Uh, but, and you can even feel them trying to edit around it too. Oh yeah. Like they know? don't show it very much no, at all. Like, you know? Oh, we need to insert this, but let's get out of it as quickly as possible. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe they ran out of budget because it wasn't like a massive budget. No, that's you know? true. Yeah, that could very well be because at a certain point, whether you're up against a deadline or you're just running out of budget, you're like, uh, we need to yeah. just call it. Yeah. Um, let's talk about story for a second. A very Okay, so I have kids. Mm-hmm. It was a very visceral feeling I had 
when future Joseph Gordon-Levitt comes back and he starts hunting the kids, trying to find the 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 big boss, the rainmaker, and he find he gets one, and and then he just breaks down after it. It's such a it was such a well done thing. I feel like, I feel like they had to do it. You know, I'm, I'm sitting here watching this and I'm thinking, I, I didn't remember because it'd been so long. I didn't oh, remember. Wow, does, yeah. he, does he kill this kid? You know, does this really happen? I didn't remember that he actually does. And then, um, to see him actually, I wanted to see him break down. I needed to see him like really wrestling with this. And he had that moment and it was, it was a little bit of a little bit rewarding for me to see that. That's one know. of the scenes that made me want to talk about some of the editing of this film. Okay. Because they in that scene, like you said, you get a you get a reaction, but you don't actually see him kill the kid. No, oh, right. Right? You just see the gunfire. Then you cut to the uh the the house, a wide of the house, and there's a fence, so you can't see what's going on behind the fence. Mm-hmm. You see him exit and then you go to like under some bridge and he likes, uh, has a breakdown, you know, next to this, uh, pylon or whatever you call the big statue things that uphold bridges, (laughs) but support. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Some kind of support thing. (laughs) We're not good with vocabulary. I'm an architect. Okay. (laughs) And it's, it's, it's powerful because you don't see it because you don't see the kid dying and all you're left with is, as people, we fill in blanks in our head. And so this is the beauty of what Hitchcock did in the psycho shower scene. He never actually shows this the woman getting cut. What it, but we're imagining that in our head. We're inserting these missing frames with our imagination. And too often that goes undone in film. They think more is more when less is sometimes actually more. Mm-hmm. And in this case, especially... We, we as an audience don't want to see a kid die because for one, that might turn us on the film, but almost just as bad. It might turn us on this character. We're still trying to connect with old Joe and understand his worldview and what he's after, what he's trying to accomplish. And so removing all those things helps us for one, recognize the, the monster that he's willing to be, but also that he's not exactly happy with it because on the same level, we're also asking kind of a fundamental question about time travel, which is what would you be willing to prevent in the future? It's the old, the old question of if you could go back and kill Hitler as a child, would you do it? Mm-hmm. And effectively, that's what the Rainmaker is. That's what they're kind of presenting him yeah. to be is this future, super powerful, uh, terrible person. Um, and we'll get to his motivations later, but that's a that's an inherently interesting question that they don't necessarily they're they don't pound on at all in this film. It's just another extra layer that we have to to chew on. Like, okay, what he's after accomplishing, which for him is really just saving his wife and saving that memory and that timeline. But there's also other lives at stake, arguably. Right. And is it would you be willing to kill a baby if that baby was Hitler? If you say yes, then okay. What if you knew Hitler was there, but you wasn't sure which baby he was? Mm-hmm. Is it worth killing all those babies? Right. Like, are we just doing the egalitarian thing of there's more lives at stake later, and therefore four babies are okay to kill? I don't know. Like, that's 
something that, I mean, me personally, I, I couldn't, but yeah, I, I know not everybody is quite as, uh, I don't know, logical or, you know, I don't know. I guess there's yeah. a cold logic one way or another. No, I get it. I get it. But I always, I guess, have hope that people can change and that you mm-hmm. can influence and impact uh, the outcome. And so, which this film addresses as well. Yeah, they totally yeah. dive into mm-hmm. that. Yeah. So, and I'll just touch on a few more things in terms of editing. Yeah. I really love in the diner scene when they start talking about all the time travel stuff. He is he's he's telling his motivation to young Joe. And in, in doing that, right, where we see these little cutaways to his wife, but they never cut the audio. They keep the same ambience of the uh, the diner. We hear the music. Uh, if they're breathing, we hear them breathing. Like everything that we're hearing with them in the diner continues into these cutaways. And it's it's so emotive because it's like we're seeing his head. Mm-hmm. We're seeing into his head so clearly it's it's painful and we begin to almost excuse what comes next. It's one of those things that's helping us connect with both of these versions of Joe. And that's such a beautiful and subtle editing decision. You know, it's very thoughtful. There's other films that kind of tinker with this. Uh, we've touched on it with Sunshine. They, they, they play with that on a very, very, very smaller scale. But there's also uh, films that play with some of the sequencing, like Out of Sight uh, has some really beautiful out of sequence things that are very similar to this in in concept, even though Out of Sight does something completely original and different that I won't talk about. But so go watch that film. Trust me, there's this beautiful sequence in there um, that you may not even recognize because it's so good. And I love just that that subtlety. Because it's easy to sometimes lay it on too thick. There's times when, as a filmmaker, we want to make a point or make you feel something that you begin to kind of hammer. <laughs> like in editing, you, you don't always need a hammer, right? Sometimes you just need wood glue, and that is more effective. And I mean, I know we've done similar things in like playing with sound and tones in our last short film uh, where we ended, where there's a scene we're playing through this whole montage and there's this scene where where our two main characters are in bed together and they say, I love you for the first time. And at that point, less was more, right? We, we stripped away a lot of the, uh, the music and sound and just gave more space to the, uh, the performances and, uh, you felt more, it was just a little bit more emotive. And so and I feel like that's just key understanding emotionally. What are you after in this scene? And they, clearly knew that this scene isn't about time travel. It's not about discussing the eventualities and how the rules of the film are working, even though they accomplish those things on a very, in a very light handed way, it was much more important to establish the motivation for why he time traveled. Yeah. And that carries his character through the rest of the way. Cause you get to the end of the film, right? And Joseph Gordon Levitt has this moment. And I read this screenplay, uh, Back in January, you know, whatever that was, 10 months ago, 12 months ago, I guess, because we're in December. (laughs) Halfway through it. And I remember reading the script and I got to the end of the script. This scene wasn't in there. Well, that that voiceover of Joseph Gordon-Levitt's thoughts uh, or young Joe thinking like. And then I saw it. And then I saw it. I saw a mother willing to die for her son. uh, husband willing to kill for his wife 
Yeah. And you know, that whole sequence was just visuals. And that was, this, the script that I read is uh, just before they, the last script before they went into production. So sometime in production, they figured out, okay, this is going to work better. Whether it's maybe they were in rehearsals with their actors and like, yeah, you know what? We do need a little extra. Cause that scene is what I remember most. I think of that scene with that voiceover. Agreed. And then I think of uh, Jesse getting shredded in the house. Oh yeah. Those are the two oh scenes God. that come to me uh, top of mind when I think oh, of Luke. Because that scene just is a slow motion of just unbelievable. coming out of him. It's beautiful and horrifying. Yeah. And they set it up wonderfully, and I still think it comes back to some of the editing. Because the setup for that is in this future we have TK, telekinesis, which they've shortened to TK, which I really awesome love, because right? it's just like, ah, it's just another thing. Yeah. We so give it abbreviations. Yeah, we got a label for it, and mm-hmm. it's this thing that is a joke. People love to take quarters to yeah. impress people, and it's shit. But then they introduce it at the very beginning of the movie. Don't touch it again for you know most of the movie, and then we come back just after uh, Joe and Sarah have sex, mm-hmm. and they're having not necessarily the pillow talk, but after the fact she has, she's floating a lighter and he's like, Whoa, that's really impressive. You can float a lighter. She's like, yeah, uh, I used to mess with uh, the dudes that were trying to hit on me with quarters, not keep the quarter down and it just piss them off, you know? And so we've set up, she has this TK ability after it comes after this incredibly confusing scene. The first time I see it and it's hard to re call those feelings after you've already seen this movie because you don't know the first time that Sid is the rainmaker. Her son is the rainmaker. That first time you're watching it though, you, what you see happen is he gets really upset whenever they're doing math and he's, she's trying to get him to do math and he's trying to talk about something else and then he gets pissed. And so you see him get really upset and he has this kind of slow motion moment and you see her getting scared and upset at the same time. But then she goes and locks herself in a in a safe and you're confused. You're like, OK, is she a danger because she was uh, starting to lose control um, and therefore she needs to lock herself away? That was my first instinct was yeah. to think she was the danger um, and that this is just a, a an upset child. Yeah. I mean, I, a part of me was like, maybe there's something up to this kid. But mostly I was thinking. That and then you see her, you know, a couple scenes later floating the lighter and talking about her power, and you're like, oh god, yeah, she is the, uh, yeah, she's the one you got to watch out for, which really helps. And it's told very subtly through, you know, some of the camera positioning and the uh, the editing, the way they strip out some of the uh, the, the sounds, and you get into this mm-hmm. ear ringing tone, yeah, and now you're just trying to piece together what exactly is happening here. Um, but you sense a clear line of danger that she has to lock herself away like that. And then you fast forward past the lighter scene into Jesse's come back the second time and he's got her at gunpoint and you see oh, this scene floored me because Jesse scares Sid, right? He mm-hmm. hears him suddenly turns Cocks his gun, then realizes, oh, it's his child. But by then, it's too late. Yeah, he slipped. He's tumbling down the stairs, and uh, young Joe is going to save him. And then you see Sarah going to save him. Uh, well, Sid, you 
Right. That's yeah. your thought. My thought is, yeah, they're both running around to the base of the stairs to catch him. And then it cuts around to her. She's grabbing JGL to to save him. Get him out of the house. Get him out of the house. <laughs> Not just like. And, and I that was amazing. And another amazing point about about this that I want to address is Jesse, when he notices that it's a kid, raises his gun up. And puts his hands in the air like I didn't know it was a kid. God, you know, like I feel I'm, bad for what's happening to yes, this kid. Yeah, and, and you know, because earlier with the first time he's there, um, uh, Joe, the young Joe, says, "Oh yeah, Jesse, he's a good guy." You know, you he's kinda, not going to hurt your yeah, mom. Yeah, he's not going to hurt your mom. Uh, he's going to leave as as soon as he knows I'm not here. We and like we Jesse. like Jesse. Yeah, we like Jesse, even though you know he's he does bad things or whatever. And then he shows back. It, so there's this moment of like, oh shit, that was ah, yeah. you know, my hands are up. I, yeah, yeah unintentional. I, unintentional. I'm never going to hurt a child. Yes, exactly, exactly. But oh. too late, buddy. You know, and and all of the the furniture floating. Practical, practical. There was everything was on wires and everything, and it just so much better. So much better that way. It changes everything. It really does. That whole scene is so amazing. It really introduces you to oh, this is it. And then there's some you see Sid after that. He's in the cornfield covered in blood, just covered in it. And seeing that, you immediately not only know he's a rainmaker, but you also know why they call him the rainmaker. Exactly. Oh, geez. And just watching that blood slowly pour out of his chest. What a touch. Oh, my God. What a touch that is. With the music. Because what's what's amazing about that is they strip out all ambient sound, no dialogue, no yelling, just music, sound effects, the performances of the child, the terror of uh, Sarah, the absolute horror of Jesse and... uh, what he's feeling and experiencing, like as he's lifted off the yeah. ground, his face, you see the veins start to rise into his skin and they're letting all those performances stand. Then, like you said, you have the props floating up and then the camera begin to just violently shake. And all of it is just begging you to feel what's happening. And then there's a, there's a stillness and a silence. There might be one little tone, mm-hmm. but that's it. And that's, that's when he starts. Well, that's when the slow motion starts, oh, and he starts right, right, right. to get starts to get the ripped focus, apart. You could feel his focus dial in. Yes, exactly. And then they cut to outside and every, there's an explosion. <laughs> Just oh. uh, now that we've described that entire scene in massive detail, oh. please just go watch it again. Oh. It is the it is such a great way. To kill a foe, <laughs> to kill a bad guy. I mean, there's no other, there's no other better way. I don't think. Because, like you said, we we like Jesse. Yeah. We, we've established that he's a good guy. He does mm-hmm. his job with integrity, even though it's kind of a shitty thing to do. Yeah. But he's still an honor among thieves kind of mentality. Exactly. And to see, and just to feel and imagine the idea of your body slowly being torn apart by forces unseen. Yeah. Is wow. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. Absolutely beautiful. Yeah, it was beautiful. Yeah. Wow. And so let us talk about loopers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, we're going to have to dive into something that I'm, I, I shouldn't even be. 
Well, Am I, are we qualified to talk about this? No, not at all. Okay, cool. But Let's do it. I'll build into it with just discussing, I guess, the themes of the film, and mm-hmm. that'll carry us into it. For one, I like the idea that, what does uh, Joe say? Loopers doesn't attend to track attract forward thinking individuals. <laughs> yeah. Oh <laughs> yeah. Like, right. Yeah. When they close your loop, you know, you have 30 days or 30 years and then yeah. you're dead. Brutal. But it's interesting. If you think about what loopers do on a macro level, they're, they're killing the future. Like they're, we're sending people back in time to be killed. And so in that way, the people in the present are killing the people of the future and I think in a light-handed way, that's kind of what they're addressing in the film, too, uh, especially, you know, when you're looking at the environment uh, and in any level, any number of ways, uh, you could be talking about what we do today affects the people of the future. And so thematically, you could be saying that our decisions, what we do and decide today is ultimately what kills, you know, our children and our ancestors. But then more explicitly, we have old Joe actually killing children. And that's, you know, an extension of that is in order to protect his future. He liked his future. He liked what he got. And he was willing to sacrifice children of today. Even we're willing, you know, props, you know, as a, as a method of him getting what he wants. Um, and so, but we're also, and I think this is emblematic in the, uh, the very final sequence, uh, killing ourselves, um, well, okay, maybe I'll get to that, but we're literally killing ourselves. They're killing themselves, right? That's how you close a loop is someone sends a, yourself back to you and you kill yourself. So maybe they're just saying we're enjoying it while it lasts, even though we're killing ourselves. Uh, and letting your loop run will get you killed even sooner. So the idea that you try to protect and have foresight and say, okay, well, I can at least plan to do right by future me because uh, that's a different you me today isn't you know me 10 years ago right it's it's always that you know oh i put on 10 pounds well i should be pat i should be pissed at myself now but more more you know upset with six months ago me who didn't do something about it right yeah, yeah. Uh, i don't have more money in the bank whatever it is like it's always your past self that you're upset with and therefore you need to be upset with your current self so that you give your future self these things. And so letting trying to have that foresight in this movie doesn't pay dividends. Uh, just, I mean, you saw what it did to Paul Dano's character. Uh, Seth. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Like he didn't get that 30 years even. No, God, that was amazing. That, yeah. Well, those visual effects there, whenever he loses his leg that, yeah. in the middle of walking. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. And his arms are just disappearing. Just like, uh, crazy, crazy. It, it was terrifying, honestly, terrifying yeah. the entire time. I thought, Oh my God, what are they doing to this poor kid? You know? Yeah. Stuff starts disappearing. on you. <laughs> And so now what we're left with is you have the rainmaker trying to save his mom by killing loopers and you have old Joe trying to save his wife by killing kids. And so what I think is happening here in the more, esoteric reason why it might be called looper is if you think about the, our last 24 hours and you were to take pen and paper and you were to draw it, it would be a perfect circle. The ends touch perfectly. Nothing's going to change, but in this world, things can change. Time has become a little bit more 
endangered in that way. Mm-hmm. Like the last 24 hours isn't necessarily the last 24 hours. I think what happens, and they they lo- allude to this a little bit. I didn't get to watch the behind the scenes thing you talked about. I got distracted um, watching The Crown, <laughs> which is really good. But so in this movie, if you were to think about that same pen and paper, we're going to draw a circle. But instead of making it a perfect circle, you just keep going around and creating new circles. Mm-hmm. The circle starts to overlap with itself, right? And maybe you make, let's say, four or five circles. Now you have what still is more or less a circle, but they're a little bit different. Each has its own little characteristics. That original circle is overlapped and is not perfectly traced. It's a little messy. And so I think what happened was you have the the very first time everything happens and Joe kills himself, uh, does everything right. he talks about. He goes yep. 30 years in the future, gets his wife killed, goes back in time, you know, screws everything up. Okay, now we have our next loop. But this time, maybe Joe succeeds. Maybe he kills uh, the mom. Uh, the kid gets away, right? Mm-hmm. And so now we go back again. Now, uh, Joe goes back in time again and except this time the rainmaker has, you know, flourished and now he's living off this old memory of the, a looper having killed his mom. So now that's why he's closing all these loops. He hates loopers. He thinks they're an evil thing and everyone else is perceiving it as he's just this, you know, crazy power hungry guy. Uh, and now it's happened again for, for Joe. He's lost his wife for whatever reason, uh, this time. And so they're kind of stuck in this loop that is self-perpetuating one thing happens and it begets the next thing and it's this endless batman and joker struggle until young joe young joe finally gets that insight that the only way to break this loop to break this cycle is to you know extricate myself out of it um and so in that way i think there's time travel some of the books i read as a kid that dealt with time travel they looked at it as a river. Time is a river. If you throw a pebble into the river, it makes a ripple, but ultimately it smooths out the further away you get from that event. And the the pebble being thrown being uh, a change in time, a change in the past. Mm-hmm. Now, the bigger rock you throw, the more a difference it makes. And so if you throw too big a rock and it pokes out of the water, what you end up doing is creating parallel timelines things where suddenly you've split and now it's affecting way too many things and eventually it'll come back together, but it's going to be super, super dangerous and it's going to wreak all kinds of havoc. And that's kind of what they touch on about. Yeah. We don't want to kill Seth, right? Cause that's going to mess things up, but we have our ways to, to keep things from getting too crazy. Yeah. Um, and so I don't know, I don't know exactly what they're trying to accomplish here in terms of their time travel thinking but i think it's somewhere in that in that line of we're throwing pebbles we're not throwing rocks and except we're never creating these parallel dimensions these parallel alternate timelines instead time is kind of healing itself as we're going because this plays this is contradicting the grandfather paradox right yeah yeah where if i go back in time and shoot my grandfather and kill him Mm -hmm. how do i do that if i'm never born and in this case, what they're saying is things happen because they happen. You can't. Well, you're not going back in, t- in time. It's like if you're 
if your grandfather or if you if if your future uh, uh, great great grandson comes back and you kill him, mm-hmm. that's different than if you go back and kill your grandfather. Right. So in this case, I think the paradox that people would be upset with is if Joe kills himself, he never grows old to go back and terrorize himself in the first place. Right. That's kind of the. Right. But but they they addressed what you talked about earlier, uh, which was there's been multiple loops of this. Right. This has happened multiple times. You see it the first time. Go go Mm -hmm. go right. Yeah. And he kills he kills himself, his future self. He gets the gold bars. He retires. He spends 30 years in China, meets her and then wants to save her and comes back again. And then stuff goes wrong. So it can happen the first time and then the second time that it loops around, it can get messed up and then stuff mm-hmm. is weird. Yeah. Now, if he were to, yeah. So if he, if he were to have the, in the first loop, if this were to have happened, well, no, I don't know. I lost it. It gets sticky. I'm telling you, I'm not really, qualified really to talk about this stuff. <laughs> I love talking about it, but I'm not qualified to. Yeah. Paradoxes really just throw me for a loop. I'm not sure anyone is technically qualified to discuss something that doesn't exist. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure that there are plenty of people that are more qualified than us, though. They're like quantum physicists. Maybe they've stuff. thought about it more. Um, but you know what? Technically, time travel has been proven to exist. Yeah. You right. know, with the changing of. Uh, quarks. I always forget exactly which atomic particle that we've watched just, change. Yeah. So there's like a, a beam of light that they've shot uh, or a laser. And by changing, it's so weird, by changing one aspect of it later changes how it began. And mm-hmm. it's the most, you know, smallest minor thing that they're changing. But they can yeah. prove, you know, on a, a very scientific scale, tiny, infinitesimal almost. Yeah. Uh, but that this this thing changed uh, its entire composition. Well, I mean, our the satellites in space are are time travelers. Honestly, mm. they're yeah. they go they're moving so quickly uh, that that they have to be adjusted. Like the all the GPS satellites have to be adjusted because their time is a little slower than our time. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> because the faster you go, the slower time slows down. So if you can go the speed of light, time will, in, in essence, come to a stop or come very close to a, to stopping. But so I think it's like I'm not sure what it is like every every week or so they have to like readjust it a, just it's a it's a little bit fraction of a second it's a fraction yeah. of fraction of a fraction of a second but it exists um uh so obviously it's very different from what we're seeing here right you know um but they do talk about things like you know like wormholes existing and and um a lot of a lot of scientists believe that those things exist, but they take like an infinitesimal amount of energy to create, and and people are just not able to. I mean, it would be like the amount of energy you would need to create a wormhole would be like like a billion times what we've ever 
created on the earth in our entire existence or something. So you're saying there's a chance, chance. (laughs) but maybe after the million years, (laughs) um, back to the paradox. I'm, my mind is like blown a little bit because I feel like there's a piece of it that just doesn't sit right. Yeah. You know, and I can't put my finger on what it is. I think it's one of those things that, and we'll get to it at the end of the episode. There's a really good quote from an author that I think hits the nail on the head. But I I think it's one of those things where it's, there's a counterintuitiveness to it because science likes to have this mathematical precision about it. And I don't think it's necessarily always that way. Talking about time travel is inherently a messier thing. And I think it is a little bit more, uh, on the end of surgery and the ability to, I don't know, diagnose the weather ahead of time. Like we can, we still can't even predict the weather, right? We don't know how, what's going to happen exactly tomorrow. We have a pretty good guess, but with all the crazy amount of data that we've summoned about the weather, we still can't really predict it. And I think time travel is a little bit more on that line instead of saying, Oh, uh, well, if he kills himself, then there's no way he could go back in time in order to uh, create all this issue anyway. What really more on a more practical level is he disappears, but he was there and he created the issue because he had to be there in order to create the issue. It right. happens because it happens. It was on. It was in the sequence on that timeline. Yeah. So you have multiple timelines. Uh, I don't think you do because – and here's why. I was chewing on this and I was like maybe there – and then – what what backed me out of it though was that he disappears. If it was a separate timeline, I think he would persist. Uh, yeah, I guess what I meant was yeah, no, you're right. It's it's one timeline, but well, it's it's a loop. It's a loop. It's yeah. a loop, and it just that he keep... finally. I think he breaks it at that yeah. point though, because yeah, now he can never ever go back again. But yeah, it, where. It's you're right. One timeline, but it just keeps looping back and back and back and back and back and back. And then maybe this was the 30th, 30,000th time this yeah, has happened. You that know, he finally the things broke just in the way that I needed them to in order to come to a realization. Yeah, because you have two women that play a really, really important role. Well, I mean, three, really. You have the, the stripper prostitute, whatever yep. she is. Um who he's infatuated with, but she doesn't return his affection. And so on one level, we can see that, you know, he's, he's lonely. He desires something and drugs are kind of a substitute for whatever he's got going. We can even see her administering some of the drugs sometimes. And so there's a loneliness there and it's fueling, you know, his addiction and his lifestyle. But then we find old Joe and he's found love. He's found this thing that healed that hole in his heart. And then he goes back in time and ultimately ruins what would have been for young Joe. But young Joe finds another love. He finds something else that is also worth dying for. Because he went back. Because he went back. Yeah. And so he gave himself an opportunity, just not the opportunity that he himself wanted. Right. And it's, it's one of those things, you know, if we could talk to ourselves, to our younger selves, the advice we'd give them. Would you want to do that? I know maybe for you, maybe you wouldn't. You're married. You have two beautiful kids. Uh, 
I'm not married. I don't have anything. I would be like, yeah, I'm talking to you, buddy. <laughs> Pick up a camera. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I think I everybody has something they would say to their younger self. And to me, in this, uh, maybe a tangent, I guess, but to me, this gets to the root of the idea of regret. Mm-hmm. I get a little butt sore when I hear people talk about, I don't have any regrets because ultimately that's what led to me being the person that I am now. And I think that's sidestepping the whole purpose of a regret, uh, which maybe is, you know, twofold. For one, you're sorry for what you did. <laughs> and if given the chance, you wouldn't do it again. Right. That's the whole point of it. And the obvious, you know, asterisk to that would be I wouldn't do it again and still maintain the person that I am now. I wish I could be who I am now without having picked up that scar, picked up that lesson. I would love to know the stove is hot without touching it. Mm -hmm. And now I've burned myself a little less in life and I have a little less scar tissue that's separating my sensitivity to the world Mm -hmm. and myself. That's I think that's a really important, you know, thing in humanity to be able to understand is the ability to to have sorrow and have it meaningfully, not not use, you know, wording and phraseology as a as a scapegoat forever actually, you know, admitting to your wrongdoings. Because that's the way I usually perceive that is like, oh, okay, you're just an asshole who doesn't want to say that they're an asshole. Yeah. That's fine. So I don't mind saying I'm an asshole. <laughs> that's a part of the game. Good. All yeah. right. Um but wouldn't do you feel like it would be taking away from from your younger self to go back and and give that knowledge basically for free instead of allowing your younger self to learn through the experience. And maybe, I mean, maybe the experience is a bad one. Uh, and, and you don't want to have that. That's like screwed you up for, for life or whatever. And you don't want to have that. And maybe that's a, a whole different kettle of fish that I'm not talking about. I mean, like the little things, you Mm -hmm. know, that, Maybe it messed you up for a year or two or something, but, but you're all right. You know what I mean? And, and having nothing to do with that's why I am how I am, but more about, about, I learned about life through this, you know, instead of being told by your future self, Hey, this is going to happen. Don't make this decision. You know, maybe I I don't know. I'm I'm, I'm just asking. It's a fair question. I, I compare it to whenever I have kids, mm-hmm. I want them to stand on my shoulders. Mm-hmm. And the way they can do that is by learning from me teaching them from my mistakes as much as from my successes. If they choose to listen. If they choose to listen. Yeah. And that's also, if I were to go back, I would still go back and have that conversation. And hopefully I would still listen. because, And I think I would. I I was usually pretty good about picking up advice and being like, okay, this person's telling me this thing and I'll, I would weigh it pretty, you know, logically and be like, no, that makes sense. And okay, I'll do that. I will enjoy my childhood because I'm never going to be young again. And so I would spend as little time as possible thinking about, Oh, I can't wait till, you know, I'm 18 or I can't wait till I'm 16 because there's so much to enjoy right now. Yeah. And maybe, yeah, maybe it, it ends up stealing a little bit out of my character But I also think, you know, it leads to other adventures. And if I could go back and say, hey, be more bold, be more outgoing, go fail more, I would do that. That would be one of my big lessons. And it would be like, yeah, you know what? That maybe means that I'm not as good at something, you know, or maybe I'm 
I don't know, don't meet some of the same people. But I also think it also, you know, leads to a whole new set of adventures that I could potentially have gone on. I'll, I would totally tell myself to swim more. <laughs> I'm such a bad swimmer. <laughs> just, on top I was so of everything, Todd is a triathlete, <laughs> Ironman. Oh, I, I who apparently isn't good at swimming. Yeah, well, I just picked it up three years ago, and and apparently swimming is one of those things that you kind of need to have done it your entire life to be really fast at it. I mean, I'm I, I'm racing with guys that uh, just ridiculous. They come out of the water 20 minutes faster than me. You didn't Insane. grow up swimming? No. No, not at all. I mean, like, yeah, you, you know, you go to a, your neighborhood pool or something okay. and you swim around with your friends, but you're playing Marco Polo. Right. You're not like swimming, swimming, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, gotcha. literally everything I do now, I never did growing <laughs> up. I just swimming, biking, running. I never did any, I mean, you know, you, you do that like with your friends in the front yard or in the street in front of your house, but you don't do it. Like, I'm not going to go out and run a 10K as a seven-year-old, you know what I mean? Yeah. I or, wish I would have swam like competitive. We didn't have a swimming yeah. team in my tiny school, Yeah, but we did have, uh, I went to a boy scout camp one summer and there was no actual swimming races, but I remember we had to bring, and they put this in the, uh, the, the guidelines or whatever you had to bring jeans without holes in them. And I didn't have many of those. I had one pair and I brought these pants and they didn't even fit very well. But you had to wear them into the water, and then as a survival exercise, they told you, okay, what you're going to do is take your jeans off, and you're going to tie a knot in the, with the legs. Oh, yeah, right. And you're going to capture air into, you know, with the, uh, the waistline uh -huh. and duck that into the water. Now your, your pants have uh, air in them, and they can act as a flotation device. Yeah. And so we did that, and then uh, they instructed us, okay, now lay back and... Uh, if you get tired, let us know and you can, you can come out uh, or know that. Yeah. That's all they say. Uh, you know, are you tired? Okay. You ready to get out? Okay. And eventually I was the only person left in there <laughs> and I was like, I think I'm doing it wrong. And I couldn't hear because my head is leaned back into the water and eventually they, they asked me to get out and I was like, I was embarrassed. I was like, okay, I, I did something wrong and we left. Uh, and I was talking to one of my buddies and he's like, tell me what this guy was saying. He, he was saying that, you know, if you're doing it right, it should exhaust little energy. You should be able to go all day. Yeah. And he was tempted to just leave me in there all day to prove a point. Oh, um, wow. but the whole time I'm thinking I'm being embarrassed, <laughs> <laughs> but I was like, Oh, okay. It's because I did it right. You did okay, it that's right. Good. Yeah. That's good. Uh, yeah, that's about as far as my swimming. <laughs> <technique That's it? laughs> floating. floating. Floating is the extent of your swimming. <laughs> oh man. Uh, so I, yeah, I, I could talk about the time travel aspect all day, yeah. just, you know, like shooting stuff, but I still feel like there's a piece of this that I'm missing mm -hmm. and I can't really put my finger on it because if I think about it, I'm able to kind of resolve everything, all the scenarios, yeah. uh, in my head. And that, you know, that might be, that might come down to the storytelling aspect of it. Like, you know, they do address a lot about you know, looping mm. and affecting the future by not killing the looper, the young looper. Uh, they only kill the old looper, even with, with Seth, they yeah. don't kill him. They just completely cut everything off of him. Um, uh, you know, so and I, I don't know. Yeah. And I think that's, 
it was by decision and by design that he didn't want to. And I think you could watch that diner scene where he talks about, you know, we could be here all day drawing diagrams. Uh, Some people see that as a cop out, but I think it was more intended as like, that's not really the point of this movie. I have answers to all of that, but it's a big headache and it pulls you too far away from the story. Yeah. And the point of this story is more dramatic in nature and there's uh, a really strong theme because ultimately it's resolved by self-sacrifice. Like if we want to protect our future and protect the future of our kids and uh, the, the people around us, then that also requires some self-sacrifice. Yeah. And if you're not willing to do that, then ultimately, you know, you're dooming yourself and everyone around you as well. Yeah. Um, And so it was more important to, you know, nail down the, the drama than it was to satisfy the science fiction aspect, which I can appreciate. There's some sci-fi films that I think take shortcuts because they just don't have good answers, but I sense really good answers here. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm perfectly fine with just, you know, playing along and focusing more on the things that they're trying to make us focus on. Yeah. Yeah. I think Ryan Johnson is a really strong writer director and how good is Jesse? God, Garrett Dillahunt, man. <laughs> he needs a freaking vehicle. I mean, seriously. Go watch go watch Deadwood. It's yeah. a HBO uh, series. Yeah. And he's in this movie so little. <laughs> so little. But he's so good. They let him play two separate characters in Deadwood. Oh. I haven't seen it, so I'll, I'll go see it. I won't say more than that. Okay. But that's how good he is. That you you get to go back to the uh, and play like oh you want to sign me up for two roles okay and there's no real rhyme or reason to it it's not like oh you know you're twins you know it's like really yeah you're playing two okay separate people man all right I'll, that's the next thing I'll watch then yeah so good and the kid in this film man what a find yeah where did he come from man uh, I know in when they talked about his uh, his audition, how he came in and he was just able to do these monologues. Like he would come in and do these like three page monologues and he's how old He's like seven in this movie or something younger, maybe even. Yeah. I mean, she says 10, but I don't know. There's no way he's He's more like six or seven. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, he doesn't look much older than my son. My son's about to be five. So, Mm -hmm. so he would come in and he'd do these monologues and then Ryan would be, he'd do a monologue and Ryan would give him like a little adjustment and he'd start over from the beginning, do the entire monologue with the adjustment, the entire thing unbelievable it really is i know you know full-grown actors who get locked into a reading yeah and they can't you know take a take direction yeah i mean i've worked on so many projects and done so many auditions where i'm like well i'll do that i'll ask someone to change something even if it was a good performance just to see if they can change as an actor you in my mind you really should just be memorizing words and now you can assign the emotion in any variety of ways you can allow the scene to impact you. Um, and as you're working through rehearsals and whatnot, you can start to lock in some of those things. That's fine. But whenever you're first starting to discover the scene, these are just words on paper Yeah. and whether you're upset or angry or happy, all that is a result of whoever else is in the scene with you. Now you're interacting. There's a saying that used to confuse me because I'm an idiot. That's uh, acting is reacting. 
Oh, right. And I used to hear that and say, acting is acting again? (laughs) (laughs) What does that mean? It's a loop. (laughs) It's a loop. (laughs) But it is. It's like it's your reactions. Yeah. And playing those honestly. Because if you change something in your performance and suddenly I'm still doing what I did last performance. Yeah. That doesn't play. That doesn't make sense. Right. Or if uh, as a director, I, I wrote it with a thing in mind. And you come in with the thing you have in mind, but you've been rehearsing it this one way a thousand times, you know, then where, where, what room is there, you know, to sculpt the scene? Yeah. Uh, there's still a lot of shaping that has to be done even after maybe you think, oh, this is the way it's supposed to go. Well, then maybe they get on set and they need Sid to, you know, be more quiet or more loud or whatever. Uh, you just never know. And so being able to, to roll with the punches and be in the moment and for a freaking child. Yeah. Yeah. He nailed it, man. The whole time was just, I was scared of him (laughs) the whole time. I was as scared of him as Emily Blunt was. (laughs) I was looking for my safe to go right in anytime he got mad. Oh gosh. No, he's amazing. Okay, so I think that wraps it up. What uh, you got a recommendation for the week? Yeah, I do. Uh, I just rewatched this again. On uh, uh, I had like a three-hour run on my treadmill oh, the other day, and so I put some movies on. I'm going to recommend Logan. Ooh, I haven't recommended that yet. Um, nice. I have been screaming for years for a realistic, real human superhero movie. Go watch Logan if you haven't already. It is bloody as hell, it, it, and there's a lot of cursing in it. They do not shy away from that at all, but it is so much fun at the same time. I'm excited and, to see it again. I haven't seen it since we saw it in theater. Oh, yeah, I hadn't either. I hadn't either. So when I, it came out on HBO, I, was, yeah. I thought, yeah, this is perfect. Oh, my God. It is so, so, so good. So good. Go watch Logan. So I'm going to recommend a micro budget sci-fi film from like 2004 uh called primer yes it's still dealing with time and uh paradoxing but it it's really intelligent i think you know if uh if watching looper or some of these films you know that deal with time travel are confusing then Primer is like the worst yeah. movie for you. <laughs> yeah, this is going to be super confusing. Yeah, like for me, I honestly, I have to watch it twice every time I watch it <laughs> just to be like, okay, I think I understand again. I got to take notes and I'll go rewatch it and like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, now I get it. Uh, because of the delivery is all super naturalized. It's not, there's no performances in this film as much as you're almost watching engineers have conversations and you don't perform those things. If you're talking about how to build a refrigerator, it's not like, you know, and then the handle goes there. You know? <laughs> it's just, okay, we're going to put the handle there. Go ahead and screw that down. You know, it's just very low tone, yeah. fast paced, but brilliant. And especially when you consider that it was made for like seven grand. Oh, incredible. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. The movie is so good. <laughs> seven grand. Bananas. Wow. What's our excuse? Uh, we don't have seven grand. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) All right. And that ends that. That's a good movie. Stay tuned. Uh, Next week we're going to be doing star Wars eight. The last Jedi. Yes. Looking forward to that one. Yes. Ditto. Um, 
And don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes. You can make a comment on Looper if you want to correct us in our time travel jibber-jabber. Uh, you can go to thepestlepodcast.com slash looper. Okay, we're going to end with a quote of the day by Douglas Adams. If the universe came to an end every time there was some uncertainty about what had happened in it, it would never have got beyond the first picosecond. And many, of course, don't. It's like a human body, see? A few cuts and bruises here and there don't hurt it. Not even major surgery if it's done properly. Paradoxes are just the scar tissue. Time and space heal themselves up around them, and people simply remember a version of events which makes as much sense as they require to make it. I love that. I love, well, if, if you don't know, Douglas Adams is a uh, author. He wrote Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. This uh, great writer. Yeah. Excellent. And this quote is just brilliant. I don't know the, con- the context of it, if this is in a book or if it's just him on a panel or uh, he writes love notes to the media. I have no idea where this came from. <laughs> but I think it's a really brilliant uh, analogy and simile for uh time travel like the idea that it's just it's an organic thing it's not this you know it's not a machine time isn't a machine uh the universe isn't a machine yeah it's a it's an organic thing it's this compound that you can affect and change and manipulate um in the same way that you would do with any other organic you know chemistry uh and so in that way it's not a clean thing it's not the way we imagine it to be but it can overcome our limitations of imagination and mm-hmm. comparing it to like <laughs> it would have never gotten beyond the first picosecond and of course many don't <laughs> like yeah many universes never begin <laughs> yeah and i love that idea that you know there's more obviously than what we see and experience in our own little bubble um but even on a grander scale there's more than we even imagine out there yeah. because of just the nature i guess of reality yeah, i love that paradoxes are just the scar tissue and then and then the uh uh it it just makes as much sense as we require it to make i love that uh no yeah this is it's a beautiful beautiful phrase man i love it awesome thank you for uh for listening and make sure to join us next week when we do star wars 8 the last jedi i'm so excited about that until then i'm todd i am wes go watch some movies